listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Listen, share this broadcast right now. Because what we're getting ready to talk about is, number one, weird. It's weird, but it needs to be addressed because it's actually happening among Pentecostal and charismatic believers in the United States and probably around the world as well. So share it right now. Hit share. Sharing is caring. This message needs to be heard. We're talking about three things today. It got brought up yesterday on the broadcast we did uh, three Bible study mistakes that Christians often make. By the way, this broadcast is brought to you by Diet A&W Root Beer, one of the greatest drinks you could ever taste in your life. No calories, filled with aspartame, and great for the frontal lobe of your brain. Um, yesterday, uh, we dealt with these three Bible study mistakes. And um, at the end, people started bringing this up. Uh, I, I couldn't even deal with it yesterday. I tried to compose myself. I tried to the best that I could, uh, but I had to come back today and do an entire broadcast on these three insane things that are going on. And yes, they are happening. This is not something that's like some tiny little fringe. It's happening in major ministries, major national, international ministries. I won't name them. Uh, on purpose, or I won't name men of God because I'm not going to judge another person's servant and they are God's servants. He will judge them. Uh, but I do need to make you aware of the principles and the scriptural backing for what I'm talking about. And so we're going to talk about that. I'm not against people, but I am against stupidity. <laughs> and so we have to address this because it's causing Christians to get into craziness. And not only that, uh, it can open the door for the demonic realm. And I'm going to show you that. I've got pictures to show you today too. I've got pictures with this stuff so you know exactly what I'm talking about. But you can get into this foolishness uh, until uh, you get into the demonic realm. I mean, without uh, question, a three-year-old is probably too young for the course. Yes, uh, too young, Matt. Um, and so this stuff leads to demonic interaction, literally interacting and communicating with demons. And if that's what you want to do as a believer, have at it. I have zero desire to communicate with demons other than when I speak to them and tell them to come out in Jesus name, which we do. Uh, but we need to cover these things. And so I'm going to go down through and, um, I'm going to cover the grave soaking first because, and once again, if you're just logging on, you don't know what we're talking about, th covering three things today, grave soaking, otherwise known as grave sucking or mantle grabbing. Those are three terms. <laughs> I can't even say it without laughing. Those are three terms that all describe basically the same thing. Grave soaking, grave sucking, and mantle grabbing. And this is especially interesting to me right now because I'm finishing this book on impartation and people think that they have to go out and snatch an impartation in some kind of crazy way, which you do not uh, have to do. And uh, so let's 
let's talk about these things because they are foolish. And uh, we, we're not naming any ministries or ministers by name because that's not what this broadcast is about. It's about understanding the principle of what the Bible actually teaches. And so let's take a look at some of these things. So first of all, grave soaking or grave sucking or mantle grabbing. Um, let, let's talk about this quickly. First of all, uh, let, let's talk about what is it? Because I, I I said it yesterday. Um, I, I, people are saying, what in the world is that? That sounds crazy. Graves, are you soaking in a grave? Are you sucking on a grave? Let me explain to you what it is. There were a group of students and it became widely popularized. And um, the, these, these students, because of, and this is a teaching uh, on uh, impartation that I believe in. I believe in impartation. I believe that someone can impart uh, gifts, callings, anointings to someone else. Uh, the Bible teaches it. The new book that's coming out is all about that. Um, but people can get into extremes on any doctrine, in, in all honesty. I mean, you can go to the basic doctrine of salvation and people get into extremes on salvation. Uh, but what happened here is that because there's a great love for uh, church history, there's a great love for uh, the men of God of the Bible, obviously, as there should be. There's a great love for the anointing, which there should be, without question. But because these things go unchecked, and then you take a look at a verse in the Bible that you could really uh, use wrongly to base this uh, practice on, which I'm going to show you the verse in a moment, uh, then you start getting into weird things like grave soaking. So well, let's define it. What is grave soaking? Well, Grave soaking or grave sucking is where people go to the grave of a man or a woman of God that has died and gone on to heaven. And then literally they lay on their grave and they are trying to soak up or suck up an impartation of the anointing um, from the grave. And so what's happening is, is, is that basically what the students are trying to do, let's say, for example, we found somebody like Smith Wigglesworth, you know, his grave or Dr. John G. Lake or Howard Carter or Lester Sumrall or, you know, T.L. Osborne or, you know, now that um, Dr. Reinhard Bonnke is going on to be uh, with Jesus, we go to his grave site and, um, you know, we would lay down on the graves of these men of God and your desire would be to receive the impartation of Smith Wigglesworth's anointing or Dr. John G. Lake's anointing or Reinhard Bonnke's anointing by laying on the grave of that man of God. Um, and so that's what was happening. That's what, that, that's what was taking place. Um, and so people say, well, that's crazy. Well, the reason that it's happening is because there are some, ver there's a verse I can take you, which I'm going to take you to right now. There's a verse of scripture in the Bible that if you wanted to uh, go far beyond um, normal Bible translation and, and, and properly, as we taught yesterday, context and properly dividing the word of God, you could read maybe this verse and say, see, here's a scriptural basis for grave soaking. Here's a, here's a scriptural basis for grave sucking for mantle grabbing. And let me direct you to the verse of scripture that I'm talking about. It's found in 2 Kings 
chapter 13. Yeah, Catherine Kuhlman would be another one. Second uh, Kings chapter 13 and verse 21. Um, and let me read you verses 20 and 21. Listen to this. Listen to this. The Bible says, so Elisha died and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. Or used, used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And verse 21, and as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Um, so you understand that this is a passage of scripture. Uh, I'm seeing some comments from John Davison in the, in, in Facebook comments. Um, there were actually public, and again, I'm not naming any names today, but there were public, uh, articles written about this by credible news sources, such as, uh, Charisma News, the, the Christian Post, uh, where people from a certain, the certain church were interviewed and gave, uh, reasons why, uh, that the students were not immediately corrected. Why it's they, they let it go on a little bit because they didn't want to squash the genuine hunger of students as they sought after the anointing. Now, whether they um, corrected it later or not, uh, obviously it should be corrected. And that's what we're, we're talking about today. It should be corrected. Um, this is obviously not something that should happen. Uh, and I'm going to explain why in just a moment. But there are things that are, are dangerous to the believer. And as I told you earlier, uh, we're going to talk about the fact that you can actually open yourself up to the demonic realm, to the realm of familiar spirits, demon spirits, when you do things um, without understanding scriptural basis. And if you're just looking, now, now watch this, if you're just looking for uh, manifestations, see that's a problem when there's Christians that all they're ever searching for is manifestations. Because uh, number one, we're to live by the word of God. The Bible said the just shall live by faith uh, and faith is established by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so Christians shouldn't need, Christians should not need um, to uh, have manifestations to believe in Christ or the Holy Spirit. Uh, we thank God we have them. I'm Pentecostal. I'm charismatic as you can get. I'm just filled with the Holy Ghost, tongue-talking uh, believer that you can find. And I want you to understand, love you too, John. I want you to understand that I believe in signs, wonders, and miracles. I press in for them. Uh, I stand for them. We lay hands on the sick. We believe people will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues. However, we don't need manifestations in order to continue or believe in our faith. Truly, if you understand the way Jesus taught it and Paul taught it in the New Testament, manifestations are for the unbeliever to see the miracles of Christ and believe. As far as the Bible says in the Gospel of John, uh, the Bible says, and many believed on Jesus' name when they saw the miracles which he did. So the miracles, the signs, the wonders, these are a proof to the unbeliever. A believer should not, should not have to search after signs and wonders to continue to believe uh, in, in his faith. And so when you're, when you're overboard on always looking for a sign, always looking for a manifestation, that's how you get into goofiness and foolishness. That's when people, you know, instead of actually doing what the Bible says to do, you know, it's actually, it's actually amazing to me. 
And let me give you an example of what I mean. It's actually amazing to me that Christians um, are not satisfied with biblical manifestations of God's power. Do you ever think about that? The fact that they're not satisfied with biblical, what do I mean by biblical manifestations? Well, um, Christians aren't satisfied with actually people just being saved. You know, that's one thing that in America anyway is really fading because you've got churches that don't even see people saved. Uh, Recent reports are telling us now that 85% plus of churches in America aren't winning souls. So that shows you they don't put any value in soul winning. So that's a manifestation of the power of God, souls being saved. How do I know? The Bible says that no man can be saved unless the Spirit draws him. The Spirit's work draws the sinner. Why is it churches aren't satisfied with that spiritual manifestation? Let's go on. Healing the sick. That's a New Testament. That's a New Testament manifestation of the Holy Ghost. Why are churches not, why are they not satisfied with healing the sick? That's supernatural. Go on further. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues, being filled with the power of God. Why aren't we satisfied with that manifestation? Go on further. Actually raising the dead. That's something Jesus commanded his disciples to do, which I'll read you in a moment. Why aren't we satisfied or pressing in for that? So understand, uh, why aren't we satisfied with actual biblical? Why do we have to get into these services where we have to see gold dust forming on people? Or why do we have to have angel feathers that are flowing down from, you know, why do we have to see oil that's flowing from somewhere? You know, why why are we more enamored with those kinds of manifestations than, uh, you know, when people are healed? Because I can tell you something, I can tell you something for sure, um, that I've been in many services where people were healed with creative miracles and people just are, are so turned off and don't care, disinterested in the power of God. You, I told someone, I said, you could have somebody raised from the dead in a Sunday morning service and Sunday night, the crowd would be lower than Sunday morning because there's some Christians that all they'll do is come on Sunday morning. And so people have gotten disinterested in the actual biblical manifestations of Christ's power and the Holy Spirit's power. And it's crazy. We don't, why are we getting so weird that we need to go out and start searching for these weird things? I don't know if you guys know this or not, but last week at our church breakfast, we flipped a pancake. And I'm telling you, when we flipped that pancake, I promise you the face of Jesus was on the other side of that pancake. And we held that thing up for everybody to see and people began to weep as they looked at that pancake and the face of Christ, the way it was fried on the griddle. It's like, why are people more enamored with crazy stuff like that than the actual power of God at work in the way that he said he would work? So it's what, it's what we're dealing with. It's exactly what we're dealing with. And so number one, they may look at this passage in 2 Kings and say, well, see, when that dead man hit the bones of the prophet, uh, when he jumped into the grave, uh, when they dropped him in the grave, he jumped out, revived. You see that? You see that? That's that's grave soaking. He got into the grave of the prophet and received the anointing from the prophet's bones and jumped up. Let me just say another thing about this. Uh, first of all, let me ask you a question. Do we need this? Do we need grave soaking in the New Testament church? No, we don't need it. We don't need it. First of all, let me say this to you. 
This was a sign and a wonder in the Old Testament. What happened to this man that was thrown on top of Elisha's bones? This was a sign and a wonder. It was not a practice. Remember this. It was a sign and a wonder, not a practice. Notice that the man did not crawl into Elisha's grave and lay on the bones and start trying to receive Elisha's mantle. He did not do that. He was already dead. And they threw him onto the bones of Elisha. And Elisha, uh, who was already dead, his bones carried a, a residue of that anointing and the man touched them. And by a sign and a wonder, the man came back from the dead. But remember this, in the new Testament, in the New Testament church, every believer who is filled with the Holy Ghost carries the most power that you could carry in the universe. You overflow with the very power of God in the New Testament. In fact, if you look at what Jesus said, he said uh, in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, there was none greater than John the Baptist. Jesus said this. He said in the old covenant, none is greater than John the Baptist. But then Jesus says this, but in the new covenant or in the kingdom of God, the least, the least person in the kingdom is far greater than John the Baptist. So by Jesus' own mouth, the greatest in the old covenant was John the Baptist. And by Jesus' own mouth, the very least in the new, in the new kingdom or the, uh, the kingdom of God, the New Testament the least of these is far greater than John the Baptist. And so we ask ourselves the question, do we need grave soaking? Well, no. And I'll tell you another reason that we don't need it. Number one, we're now filled with the Holy Ghost. Every believer is filled with the Holy Ghost. So let me just say this. No anointing has ever left the earth. Put that in the comments section. Every person watching, put this in the comments. No anointing has ever left the earth. Put that into the comments. No anointing has ever left the earth. Ever. Ever. Because remember this, the anointing is originated in the Holy Spirit of God. So you don't have to go lay on Smith Wigglesworth's grave to receive Smith Wigglesworth's anointing. You don't have to do it. Now, do I believe in impartation? Absolutely. I've got a whole book coming out on it in just a few weeks. No question I believe in it. But you don't have to lay on a grave to get someone's anointing or to receive their impartation or snatch their mantle. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. They didn't do that in the New Testament. They didn't do it in the Old Testament. This was, once again, this isolated incident is a sign and a wonder. We've got the Holy Ghost. No anointing has ever left the earth. It's all still here. It's all still here. And so you don't need to do that. It is not necessary to lay on a grave. Uh, furthermore, you say, well, why don't we, um, why don't we, um, why don't we do this? Why don't we just do that to raise people from the dead like they did in this story? Well, here's why. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 10 and verse number eight, let's read this. Jesus is teaching his disciples so if you're asking the question, well, why don't we use the graves of these powerful men of God to raise the dead as was happened here in 2 Kings? Here's why. Matthew chapter eight and, 10 and verse 8, Jesus says this to his disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead, 
cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, now give without pay. And then, of course, you know, Jesus said regarding those that believe in him and uh, and, and do what he's uh, asked them to do, John 14, 12. Truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have done and greater works than these because I'm going to be with the Father. So what's he, what does he mean by that? He's saying, when I send the Holy Spirit, he will fill you and empower you. And then you'll do not only the works that I'm doing, but greater works than these. So he already told his disciples, go raise the dead. We're seeing people raised from the dead now in this generation by the power of the Holy Ghost. You don't have to throw them on a grave for that to happen. You are filled with resurrection power. Your body is filled with resurrection power. The same, remember this, Romans 8, 11, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is literally living inside your bones and inside your body and quickening your mortal body, the Bible says. And so you don't need to go lay on a grave. You don't, you don't need any of that. All you need to do is understand you're filled with the power of God. And as you are filled, thank you, Jordan, for sowing a seed. As you are filled with the power of God, you can do the works of Jesus Christ. You can do the works of Jesus Christ. And so that's number one, grave soaking. We, do we need it? We don't need it. We don't need it. Number one, it was not a practice in the Old or New Testament. It was a sign and a wonder that happened in the book of 2 Kings. And the man didn't choose to do it. He was dead and was thrown on the grave. And so that's number one, grave soaking. Number two, let's get into this. Uh, the second thing we're talking about today is destiny cards. Destiny cards. Uh, and this is a real thing, by the way. Destiny cards is a real thing um, that was, and I'll, I can name the ministry because the ministry did it publicly. Um, this is a ministry called, and I use the word ministry, you know, the ministry is called Christ alignment. Christ alignment. And um, the destiny cards used by Christ alignment, I'll let you see a little picture of them here. This is a picture of them at you being used at an event. These are the Christ alignment cards. Um, and by the way, they are, they're trying to make it very clear to you that these are not tarot cards. These are not tarot cards. These are destiny cards. Destiny cards, there's a big difference according to these guys at Christ Alignment Ministries, uh, destiny cards are not tarot cards. They want you to know that very clearly. Although they look like tarot cards and although they're laid out on the table like tarot cards um, and though they're being used at new age functions um, and new age events uh, and uh, events that are uh, hosted and, and attended by mystics, uh, this, this is not... These are not tarot cards. These are destiny cards. Just so you know, uh, just want to show you that real quickly. Uh, destiny cards. So I want to talk about it. Now, the people that run Christ Alignment Ministries um, are, are, I'm sure, doing this from a, a heart to reach the lost. Let me give you, um, let, let me, let me give you some context as to what they're doing. Christ Alignment Ministries, their desire is to reach people in the new age community. That's their desire, is to spread the gospel in the, uh, in the context of an event or uh, you know sometimes there are conferences 
uh, where new age people come together. So they'll set up their booths, as you saw in the picture that I showed, and they'll set their booth up in order to minister to those who don't know Jesus or possibly hate God, or as they said on their website, think that God hates them. Um, and so they're, they're, maybe, they're, maybe their desire is genuine to reach the lost um, using these destiny cards. So what, what does this mean? Um, what they're trying to do, essentially, is to create a, a gospel presentation that is not offensive to the New Age uh, philosopher, I guess you'd say, um, to create almost a bridge. Say, oh, you've seen something like this before, but you've not seen this. Sit down at our table. Let us show you what it is. And then it's a hook, if you will. They want to use it as a hook. Uh, and, and, you know, some of their cards have Psalms on them. Some of them have Jesus picture and, you know, th things like that. They're trying to spread the gospel and, uh, and using it as a hook to minister to new age people that are into magic and mysticism and tarot cards and, uh, uh, you know, what, what we call, um, you know, psychic readings and all this stuff. Now, what's the issue? What's the problem? Let me, let me, let me just, let me read this to you about, this is an article, by the way. This is an article by Christian Post. The Christian Post uh, released this article um, in regards to this. And this was publicly, so I'm, I'm just going to read it because it was publicly read. Jenny Hodge wrote to a certain church denying the accusation. Over the last six years, we have developed a very successful tested method for ministering to thousands of new age people. The cards Christ Alignment uses are not tarot or remotely similar to tarot cards, she wrote. We know tarot cards are very dangerous and highly discourage it. The tools we made help us lead people into deep God encounters at our tables. And our aim at Christ Alignment is to attract tarot reading clients, people who are fully into New Age practices, psychics, and witches, all of these people can immediately recognize that our cards are not tarot once they sit down at our tables. Now listen to this. She added card sets, including cards we made named Psalm cards with scriptures on them, address the gifting in a person's life. The color, now listen to this, the color God is showing the person in a prayer encounter will speak to the person through the prophetic image on the front or the meaning on the back. It's the same as when we give someone a prophetic painting, <laughs> just much smaller. <laughs> I got to stop right there. It's the same, guys. It's the same as when we give you a prophetic painting. It's just a much smaller work of art. The, they are also non-predictive. But we call them destiny cards as we believe that giftings and callings given by God for people are certainly part of their destiny. Explain to me how that makes any sense at all. The color that God shows them in a prayer encounter uh, helps them align to their destiny or calling? What? Where is that in the Bible? Show me one verse of scripture where God is using a color during a prayer encounter. 
I can't, I can't even get through this broadcast. <laughs> Probably the comment of the day from Facebook, Sarah Govin says, you can wrap a poop in tinfoil and call it a Hershey kiss, but it's still poop. <laughs> Got to take a, a drink from our sponsor, Diet A&W Root Beer, everybody. And so, listen, first of all, what scriptural basis do we have for God using these colors during prayer encounters to reveal someone's destiny? First of all, let's start with the beginning of this. Let's start with the beginning. The, the people that they are reaching are witches, psychics, and new age members of the New Age movement, people that are, number one, unsaved. First of all, God is not going to reveal your gifting and your calling to you until you get saved. God doesn't have a gifting and a calling for unsaved people. It's, it's not there. The key is you've got to get people saved. Well, what does the Bible say? about salvation, that no man can be saved unless the Spirit draws him. How does the Spirit draw a man? By the preaching of the gospel. If you're not preaching the gospel, there's no anointing to be saved. Catch that. This is very, very important. If you're not preaching the gospel, there is no anointing to be saved. You understand that? The gospel is not anything you pre you say out of the Bible, by the way. The gospel is not anything you say out of the Bible. The gospel is a specific message. Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, was crucified and became the propitiation for your sins. He was uh, not only crucified, but he was buried. He descended into the lower parts of the earth, took back the keys of death, held in the grave, led captivity captive. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, was seated at the right hand of the Father. He's preparing a place for you and sent the Holy Spirit 10 days after his ascension, that is the gospel message. And if you do not preach the gospel, according to Romans 10, there is no anointing or ability for any person to be saved. You can read them. Listen, I could sit down in front of a group of witches and read them the entire book of Psalms, and there's not going to be an anointing there for them to be saved. The, the book of Psalms is not the gospel. Say, well, you know, some of our destiny cards, you know, include Psalms. And, and it's like, that's not what unbelievers need. They don't need Psalms. <laughs> so you understand, you need, to, you need to understand how this works. Now, uh, you may make an argument. I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a minute. And you may make an argument and say, well, Paul did the same thing. You know, the apostle Paul, he did the same thing in Acts chapter 17 when he went to Athens. And Athens at the time was the philosophical uh, capital of the world uh, where all of the Stoic philosophers gathered and literally were, were uh, uh, debating day by day about truth. And they had all these statues to all these gods in Athens. And uh, of course, they had a statue that was designated to the unknown god and you, you look at this now, Paul goes to Athens 
And I want to make a couple points here about Paul's ministry as he's here in Athens. Uh, and the Bible says that he goes and, and sees these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers and they were conversing with Paul. And understand something, by the way, Paul was probably the most educated man, smartest man outside of Christ in the New Testament. He actually trained at the feet of Gamaliel, who is to this day considered one of the greatest Jewish teachers of all time. Paul was his direct understudy. Paul was extremely educated, extremely educated. So he's very smart. Paul's not a fisherman that's trying to debate philosophers. Paul is one of the smartest men that there was, if not the smartest, in the New Testament. And he steps in with these philosophers, these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, and they begin to converse with him. And uh, they said, well, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities uh, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So notice what he does. Paul then tries to use their means to get them the gospel. What does he do? Well, he starts to debate with them. And then what does he do? He points to their statue of the unknown God and tries to use philosophy and their statue of the unknown God to get them to understand Christianity and to be saved. One of the things that it would be very important for us to understand about this encounter Paul had is that it was one of his least, if not, not one of, it was his least successful gospel endeavor in the New Testament. It was his least successful. Notice this. The Bible says after he's done addressing all the philosophers, after he's uh, done uh, addressing a specific philosopher, look what this. Um, now, verse 32, Acts 17, 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, yeah, we'll hear you again about this. We'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. And then we have verse 34, the, the result. But some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysus and uh, Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So just a few people, just a very few people who heard Paul speak actually decided to believe what he said. The majority, many of them mocked him. Others said, yeah, you, you made some good points. We'll, uh, we'll hear you again about this later. And he had to leave. He didn't have a mighty revival in Athens. He didn't see signs, wonders, and miracles in Athens. He didn't see a massive conversion of the philosophers, Epicurean or Stoic, into Christianity. He didn't see any of that. What happened? Basically nothing except for a few conversions. That's it. Why? The method. The method is why. Because you can't debate people into the kingdom of God. It doesn't work that way. You cannot debate people into the kingdom. And I want you to write that in the comments. You can't debate people into the kingdom. You can't reason people into the kingdom. It doesn't work that way. The Bible says people who don't know God, they see the word of God as foolishness. Foolishness. So you cannot debate people into the kingdom. You cannot reason people into the kingdom because the gospel message is unreasonable. It's unreasonable. It's not even logical. So you can't logic people into the kingdom. You can't do that. And Paul failed in his attempt to do it. So what did Paul do? Paul changed his method. He changed his method. Notice he never tried to do that again. 
And if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, notice how he came to these. Now, Athens is in Greece. Also, uh, Corinth is in Greece. But notice what he said to the Corinthians. He didn't approach the Corinthians, although there was crazy stuff going on in Corinth. He didn't approach the Corinthians in the same way he did to the people in Athens. And look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4. And actually, you know what? I'm going to start in verse 1. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Notice he changed his whole method. I didn't come to Corinth with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse three, and I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Look look at verse four. This is so important. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. Look at verse five. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So notice, and of course, you see Paul's ministry as he goes on through his three missionary journeys and all the way until his death in Rome. His ministry was full of demonstration and power, signs, wonders, miracles, raising the dead, uh, seeing many people converted and saved, people filled with the Holy Ghost, What changed? The thing that changed is that Paul recognized, I can't base what I'm doing on my natural wisdom or my ability to uh, be smarter than someone or debate someone or uh, philosophize with somebody until they come into the kingdom. I have to rely on the power of the Holy Ghost and his demonstration so that their faith is not in wisdom, but their faith is in the power of God. And so, I Listen, giving all the benefit of the doubt in the world to Christ alignment and to those that are doing destiny cards, you've got to understand Paul's position as well. He tried the same type of thing, but except at not such a crazy level. Um, and it doesn't work. Paul proved it doesn't work. The Holy Spirit has that in our Bible for a reason to see that it doesn't work. And no matter what you're doing, you understand that these, these destiny cards are crazy. You cannot give somebody their destiny and calling as a witch, as a wizard, as a psychic, as a new age philosopher. They need to be saved. And to be saved, you've got to preach the gospel to them. The Bible says that there will be people that will not receive the gospel. You don't stay there and keep banging your head off of a wall until they do receive it. The Bible says you shake the dust off of your feet and go somewhere else. And so listen, I appreciate the heart to reach all people, but there's only a way to reach all people, the preaching of the gospel. Do you realize the preaching of the gospel works in every nation of the world? Do you realize no matter what your religion or lack of religion, the the preaching of the gospel works? Do you realize the preaching of the gospel has been proven to work among Muslims, among Hindus, among uh I mean, I could go through in India, there's 10,000 gods. It's been proven to work all through India. It's been proven to work among Buddhists, New Age philosophers, atheists, agnostics. The preaching of the gospel works. Why? Because Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God 
unto salvation. And so understand the gospel is the power that brings about salvation. It is the power. Now let's finish with what people may have been waiting for, angel boards. Angel boards is number three. So we know grave soaking doesn't work. Destiny cards don't work. Uh, and we explained why, but now angel boards. This might be the craziest of all of them. Angel boards. There's actually, you can still find it online. They're not being produced anymore, but on amazon.com, you can literally still find um, this product. I think it's called the Angels Talk or Angels Talk. Romans 1.16. Angel boards. What is an angel board? Well, I have a picture of one to show you. I'm going to put the picture up on the screen of this angel board. And I want you to tell me at first glance at what this looks like to you. Here it is. There's the angel board. The product is called the angel's talk. The angel's talk. What, what does this look like to you that you can purchase on Amazon, bring back to your house and use to uh, talk to angels, apparently. What does that look like? Yes, Taya. Yes, Giovanna. Exactly right. It looks like a Ouija board. You know why? Because it's a Ouija board. <laughs> it's It doesn't look like a Ouija board because it looks like a Ouija board. It looks like one because it is one. As Sarah so eloquently said earlier in the broadcast... You can put poop in tinfoil and call it a Hershey's kiss, but it's still poop. <laughs> you can put a different name on this and, and a picture of an angel and say angels talk and call it a spiritual guide if you want to, but this is demonic. This is demonic. It's a Ouija board with a different picture and a different name. That's all it is. It's a Ouija board with a different picture and a different name. This is what makes, makes me laugh, though. Uh, I was reading on Amazon the reviews. <laughs> I was reading the reviews on it. It says, yes, talk. This is a one-star review from Deb. Yes, talk to the angels, the fallen ones, that is. <laughs> yes. Talk to the angels, the fallen ones, that is. Uh, and Deb writes in her uh, review on Amazon, this is just a Ouija board with angels on it. It's a doorway to the demonic, which I totally agree with. I don't know how Christians don't see that. The only ones who would fall for this, uh, of course, would be new age people who are completely ignorant about angels and in turn just as, if not more ignorant regarding God. Yes, I agree. Um, I love this one star review from, from Jay Reed's. Um, best case scenario, nothing happens. Worst, you get angels, but not the good ones. <laughs> oh, Ouija board by another paint job. No different in effect uh, because this product claims to connect you with angels, thus invoking the Bible's teachings about angels and God. Um, look at that. This makes me laugh because some people are giving it five-star reviews. Five-star reviews. Um, I've been on a path of spiritual enlightenment for a year. 
And uh, we, I have friends, we share books, experiences, thoughts, and feelings. And uh, since I've been using this product, look at this. Uh, I just started feeling unconditional love. I knew I wasn't alone, nor had I ever been. <laughs> oh, Lord. And so you understand. I'm just looking at these. They're making me laugh. The stuff that people, people are re recognizing it, though. <laughs> this person's one-star review basically said, I'm still waiting for the board game. The book arrived. <laughs> She's frustrated. She can't talk to her angels. What the heck? I've been waiting to talk to my angels for three weeks. It's been 15 business days and I still don't have, still don't have my Ouija board that has an angel on it. Um, so, so let's talk about this. First of all, it's very clear to see this one's pretty easy. Uh, this is a Ouija board. It's just, it's literally like, and by the way, uh, if you study who created this uh, product, the woman who created this product is actually a psychic. So call it whatever you want. If charismatics, quote unquote, or Pentecostals are using this product, they're just stupid. They're just absolutely stupid. Oh, of course, Kim, you can talk to demons. We'll be happy to talk to you if you want to talk. Kim said, wow, you can talk to the fallen angels. Oh, demons are happy to talk with you if you'd like to talk to them. They're waiting for people to engage the demonic realm. And this is what's foolish about it. Because we're not, number one, we're not taught in the New Testament or in the Old to pray to angels. Um, we in, in the New Testament, especially in the New Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, God would send angels to give messages right? So there would be angels that would arrive. The angel of the Lord would come and give a message. Notice when people actually saw angels of the Lord in the Bible, they didn't try to sit around and have long conversations with them. In fact, notice this, one of the first things, not one of, the first thing angels would always have to say to people when they came was, fear not. Why did they have to tell them that? Because people were freaked out seeing an angel. Freaked out. So it's not like, hey, stick around for a little bit. Let's, let's talk about my calling and my destiny. No, they, no. angels were there on, on a mission from God to deliver a message. However, in the New Testament, we do not need angels to speak to us in that way. Why? We have the Holy Spirit of God that indwells our bodies. We are united with Christ, something Old Testament believers never were nor could ever have. The indwelling, the constant indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it this way, I can't put new wine into old wine skins. Why? It would blow your body up. If you're unsaved, you can't be filled with the Holy Ghost. There's too much power going into an unclean vessel. It would just destroy you. But once you got saved, see, Jesus said, I have to regenerate your body. I have to make you a new creation, a new wineskin before I can pour new wine into you. And so understand that we as believers in the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who leads and guides us into all truth. He teaches us all things, the Bible says. And so we don't have to have a word from an angel. We don't need it. 
Why would you need a word from an angel when you can speak directly to the Holy Spirit who is God? Why? Why would you why would you need a lesser thing when you've got the greater thing? You don't need it. And so I don't need, I'm not waiting on angels to come give me a word or to come direct me in the way that I should go. No. What does the Bible teach about angels in regard to New Testament believers? Hebrews chapter 1. Angels are just ministering spirits that are sent forth to work or help or minister to those that have received or on behalf of those that have received salvation. Their inheritance of salvation. That's you and that's me. That's what angels are called to do in the New Testament. They're ministering spirits. Ministering spirits. I don't need, I don't need angels to guide me. I don't need it. I have the Holy Spirit to guide me. And so these angels, I mean, look at that one more time. I mean, seriously, that's the angel board. That's the angel board. You see that? I mean, that's a Ouija board with a, a kind of a creepy angel painted in the back. I mean, that's just insane. So there you go. There you go. Yeah, me, the, the, he's asking the question on YouTube, what about Peter when he was in prison and the angel directed him out? The angel directed him out, but the angel was just opening the door. It was a sign of wonder and a miracle. He wasn't asking uh, the angel for life guidance. Angels, ministering spirits, are there to minister on behalf of those who have inherited salvation. So the angel was there to actually protect his life and keep him from dying. They had just murdered Christians the day before and saw how much it pleased the Jews. And so they arrested Peter with the intent to do the same thing. The angel had to wake him up. The angel was not there to lead him and guide him into all truth. The angel was there to actually save his life, spare him and get him out of prison and came, by the way, because of the prayers of the other believers who had been praying for Peter that God would deliver him. And so we don't need angels to lead us and guide us into all truth and to sit down and actually use a device like that to try to get a, an angel to speak to you about your future is straight up demonic because the Bible does not teach that in any way, shape, or form. It teaches that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us into all truth. And we're filled with that very spirit. And so there's, there's crazy stuff going on. Any, I'll take a few questions before we go and I pray for you. But any questions for people? If you didn't get a chance to share this, you need to share the broadcast because this kind of stuff needs to be heard. Uh, debunking this crazy... I mean, I don't know... First of all, as John was pointing out a little earlier, some of the reformed crowd uh, got a hold of this and started running with it. Look how crazy, see, look how crazy Pentecostals are. Look how crazy charismatics are. They're nut jobs. And so you want to be that kind of a Christian? And if you don't know what an, a, a reformed uh, Calvinist is, it's somebody who is essentially a cessationist, which means they don't believe in the Holy Spirit's interaction with the church today as he did in the early church during the establishing of the church and also during the uh, the compilation of canon to give us the, the scripture. And once the church was established and once uh, the canon of scripture was given to us and completed, 8095 at a late date, 
uh, then we don't, then the Holy Spirit ceased in his operation. No longer was there a need for speaking in tongues, signs, wonders, miracles, healings. All of those things were just there to uh, back up the gospel during the establishing of the church. And so these are people that don't believe in Pentecostalism. They do not believe, um, you know, in, in the charismatic gifts. And so that what do they do? They look for these fringe nut jobs and say, see, that's what Pentecostal Christianity is. That's what charismatic. You want to be a part of that? You want to get into angel boards and you want to get into... And it's not what it is. It's a few fringe nut jobs that have not been taught, that don't understand the, the scripture. And in fact, this, as I just said, the angel board was created by a psychic. So not even a Pentecostal or charismatic Christian. So it's ridiculous. And that's why this stuff needs to be talked about because it brings a name. Uh, it makes, you, you, get, you get Christians that even start to doubt, well, I don't even know if I should be involved in Pentecostal, charismatic Christian, if that's what it is. Uh, I don't know why everybody is asking me to address shofars. Why is everybody asking me to address shofars? Does voodoo people can be saved? I'm guessing you mean voodoo. And yes, anyone can be saved. Anyone that believes the gospel can be saved. Bonnie, I will pray for you before this comes to an end. <clears throat> uh, my roommate is a witch. What do I do? I'm not able to move. I am older than her, so I am able to influence. I can tell she respects me, but she does ritualistic things and talks to a psychic. Um, Sheila, you need to take authority in your own home. You don't need to allow, uh, you know, like occultic ritual practices in your in your house. And uh, people say they're not able to move. It just means you you really don't want to move because people can do anything they want to do. You might not be able to live in a place as nice as the place you live with the witch, but you can move. There is ability to move. Uh, at the very least, there's government housing. I, I'll be honest with you. I would rather live in government housing uh, alone as a Pentecostal than in a nice apartment with a witch. And so you, you might want to speak to her in love. You might spread the gospel with her. Pray Obviously pray for her. Um, but you need to make these things known because obviously you care about her soul and she's on her way to hell and you need to talk about the dangers of um, witchcraft and uh, really pray that God will save her. But don't allow that stuff to go on in your home. You're older, you've got authority, take your authority and let her know you're not going to have that stuff going on in the house. That's true. Very true, John. Yep, love you, Matt. You're welcome. Um, that's right. They're untrained souls. How should one handle a visions of angels giving you direction for your life? Um, I would just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide me. I've never, um, as I said, it's not a New Testament practice, Marcus. Angels are not get, don't give you a direction for your life. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads you and guides you into all truth. It's not angels. And then you need to pray and fast about direction for life. Don't just do it because you had a dream about it. It's true, Kim. They're just basically, love you, Alex. Cast her out literally. Um, well, uh, the Enneagram test, Alex, I don't believe is uh, occultic in any way. I think it's just another form of a personality test. If if we're talking about the, the same thing, the Enneagram, 
is just a personality test like the, uh, what is the other one, the Brinks-Myers or any of those. It's used by business people to help uh, certain personality types work better together. That sounds vulgar. What sounds vulgar? Christy. Uh, Tony Car Tony Car Carpenter's uh, flag ministry is not doing well. We need to pray for him. That's right, Raina. Blast some worship music and take dominion. You know what, Sheila? I, I like what Raina's saying. Why don't you start doing some stuff in the house to stir up some supernatural uh, Holy Ghost anointing? Why don't you, um, you know, walk through your house loudly praying in the Holy Ghost? You know, make that spirit uncomfortable. Myers-Briggs, there you go. Praying Samson for Zambia. God will open, of course God will open up a place for Sheila to live. Is it wrong to seek out prophecy? Karen, you're going to have to explain that a little bit better. Seek out personal prophecies? Is that what you're referring to? Like you want to receive a prophecy? Um, it's, it's not wrong to desire spiritual gifts. Paul taught us that we should. It, and the Bible tells us we should never despise prophecies. If a prophecy is given to you, you should not despise it or say, I don't care. I don't want to hear any of that. You should never have that mindset. Um, but once again, you don't need a personal prophecy, Karen, in order to gain direction for life. The Holy Spirit can speak to you just as quickly as he can speak to a prophet. So re remember this, in the Old Testament, prophets did lead nations and lead kings and lead uh, people. But in the New Testament, we're not led by prophets. We're led by the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in every single one of us. So don't uh, you don't have to seek out prophecy. If one comes to you in a service or you know, you're, you're in contact with a man of God and, or woman of God and they prophesy to you, don't despise it. Don't reject it unless it's not of God. Obviously, you can weigh that against what the Bible teaches and what the Holy Spirit shows you. But prophecies in the New Testament should be confirmation and not direction. Because the Holy, why would the Holy Spirit speak to someone else and not speak to you? You know, it, it doesn't make, regarding your own life, I mean. Why would he, he loves you. Why wouldn't he tell you what he wants you to do? It doesn't, that's why I say prophecies for the believer in the New Testament should be confirmation, not direction. Not direction. That's right. Start an anointing. Amen. Yeah, prophecy service is fine, but don't don't despise it. But you don't have to have one in order to gain direction for life. Yeah, I agree with that too, Sheila. Anoint the house with oil. Absolutely. They came and ministered to Jesus after his temptation. Angels uh, came and ministered to Jesus after his temptation. Just means that they strengthened him. Uh, they came and refreshed him, if you will. Love you, Stephen. Brother Rambler. Yep, you're welcome, Karen. That's right. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness. Uh, so it's important. I agree with that. John's saying it's good to have two or three confirmations, especially if you're not familiar with the person delivering the word. My father one time asked uh, Brother R.W. Shambach, have you ever done something because of a prophecy that you received from a man or woman of God? And he said, yes, if I had confidence in the one giving the prophecy. If I had confidence 
in the one giving the prophecy. You know, let me just say this. I think there would be a lot less personal and public prophecies in the New Testament if we still uh, would adhere to Old Testament practices regarding false prophecy. False prophets were killed <laughs> in the Old Testament. So you better be, if you say, thus saith the Lord, you better be sure the Lord said it. You know, thank God that we live in a, under a dispensation of grace and that we're not killing false prophets in the New Testament. But I think um, if, if, we, if we held to those Old Testament standards, which we would never do, uh, people would be a lot less prone to be just flippantly giving words to everybody, which is a, a problem in the charismatic community for sure. There's goofy people that are just flippantly throwing prophecies left and right, and it is goofy. They're not from the Holy Ghost. That's why I say judge everything against God's word written, his written word, and allow the Holy Spirit to confirm it to you personally as a, as a Holy Ghost-filled believer. Where in the Bible is Christmas, Coco de Paris asks. I read the Bible cover to cover and can't find it. There is no 25th of December, no turkey. So bad for the planet. What do you say? <laughs> uh, no, it's not uh, bad for the planet. There is no Christmas uh, on December the 25th in the Bible. That's true. That It's not something you're going to find in the scripture. In fact, many scholars tell us Jesus obviously was not born in the winter. Many believe that he was born in the spring. Um, and so, but Christmas, really what it's become for Christians is a time to celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus Christ, celebrate the birth of the Savior, even though he was not born in the winter. Um, we still celebrate him just in the same way uh, that people would argue, well, you know, Easter's a pagan holiday. It's Ishtar. And, you know, you're really engaging in a pagan practice when you go to. But really what we're celebrating is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not some pagan holiday. And so what am I going to be? Some nut job that's like, you know what? I celebrate my Christmas in March because that's when Jesus. No, I'm not going to I'm not going to cheat my children out of gifts and presents when every other child is getting them because I'm going to be doctrinally accurate about the day Jesus was born. It's just a time we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Uh, the turkey, though, is wonderful, and we should eat turkey as often as possible. These things have been given to us by God. My Lord, I feel the Holy Ghost. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Passover, you know, not even just Passover, but resurrection, you know. I, sell, I call it Resurrection Sunday because we're, we're celebrating the resurrection. And thank God for the Passover, but we're, we're, we're celebrating the resurrection. Um, yeah, of course it is. It's in honor of Christ. It's a, of course, it's a man-made tradition. Um, no, I would never use my uh, Enneagram number as my identity in the truth of God's word. That's, that is crazy. Alex is, a, is in California and is re just reporting some of the crazy stuff that's going on in churches in Cali. People are using their Enneagram number as their identity, not the truth in light of God's word. So they're using it as their spiritual identity and it's being preached from, from pulpits that we should use our Enneagram as our spiritual identity. That's crazy. I've never, never heard that. But of course, that's California, Alex. And as you know, uh, that's where a lot of crazy stuff starts. <laughs> um. You know, Dory, I don't think, Dory's asking the question, should we celebrate Jewish holidays or can we? And by the way, let me just say, as we're still taking questions, I want to encourage you to uh, sow a seed today. 
If you've not done so, uh, take a moment to sow a seed into this ministry. Uh, you can go to miracleword.com. You can sow a seed right on the website. Let me encourage you to partner with this ministry. We're seeing more souls saved. We're seeing more miracles take place. 2019, the most productive year we've ever seen. I mean, I'm talking more salvations, more creative miracles, which is what we prayed for, to see people creatively healed. Just in January, to see cancer healed, tumors gone. Uh, I mean, all kinds of things happened. Deaf ears open, crippled people healed just in January of this year. And uh, so stand with us. Ask God, am I one of those that's to part that, to partner with Ted and Carolyn as they're bringing the gospel around the world? We prayed and said, Lord, would you add to us at least a thousand people that would stand at $85 a month uh, and believe God for this generation to be changed? And so there on the screen, there's information. If you'd like to use hashtag donate, if you're in Periscope or Facebook, you can do that. Uh, Venmo and Cash App use the same username, MWGive, Miracle Word. Uh, PayPal information's on the screen as well. And I want to say thank you. For every person that's partnering at $1,000 or more, we're sending you a genuine leather study Bible in the New Living Translation. It is awesome. I've got one for myself. They're phenomenal. And we're going to send one to you. And also, for those that are giving $100 or more this month, we're going to send you a gift as well in the mail uh, to let you know that we love and appreciate you. And uh, so I want to say thank you to everybody that's standing with us. Uh, let me look at, at this right here because... Dory's asking, should we celebrate Jewish holidays or can we? There are believers who do. You, you're not required to as a believer. Although you're spiritual Israel, you've been grafted into the family. Um, those, many of those things are done in the Old Testament and those things have been fulfilled. Um, you know, if, if you desire to go sit down with Jewish brother, you know, Messianic Jews, we call them. They're just Jewish people that have gotten saved and recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And if you want to go sit down and have a Seder dinner uh, and all of that, you're welcome to do so. It's not wrong necessarily to do it, but uh, you're not required to, and I do not, celebrate Jewish holidays, um, although I, I, I acknowledge and respect them. And, you know, I thank God for all that he did to the, in the Old Testament for his people. I know that prophecies are being fulfilled on Jewish feast days. Uh, four of the, the, spring, the four spring uh, feast day prophecies have already been fulfilled. The three in the fall are going to be fulfilled. That's the resurrection, the second coming, and the millennial reign of Christ. They will take place on the actual literal feast days as the spring ones did. Um, so I understand that God's still using those things, uh, but you're not as a Christian required uh, to celebrate the Jewish feast days. Yeah, numerology, John, is another issue. Everybody's getting into numbers and you know crazy stuff. Don't, I'll never forget the ham, Nick. When I say I don't celebrate the Jewish traditions, I eat ham like nobody's business. I eat ham. <laughs> it is clean. I, I, listen, I can't tell you guys how much I thank God that, uh, that that sheet was brought down from heaven in front of Peter's face in Acts chapter 10 and God said, don't call unclean what I have cleansed. Thank you, Jesus, for ham. I love ham. I've never celebrated Advent before Christmas, Nathan. Welcome from South Africa, Mabel. Uh, Dory, you're saying that you've heard believers that teach that we will 
celebrate Jewish uh, feast days during the millennial reign of Christ? I don't know. Um, we'll see. We will see. Yeah, Tammy, you put uh, hashtag donate 50 with no spaces. That's correct. Hashtag donate, just like uh, Candace is showing you there. <clears throat> Thank you for sewing. <clears throat> and then there will be a, a link, and there it is. Candace, Candace did it and actually got a link for herself. <laughs> but that's how you do it. There you go, Tammy. Just like that. And then a link will come up. There's your link, and you just click on it to complete your, your, your seed. Thank you for sewing. Thank you for sewing. And Candace, if you click your link, thank you for sewing. Thanks for everybody that's sewing on uh, Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, the website. I appreciate you guys. What other questions do you have before we head into the weekend? It's Friday. It's Valentine's Day. I hope you guys have some good Valentine's Day plans. I don't know what you're doing, but I hope it's fun. Even if you're just sitting in a beanbag chair watching old movies with popcorn or Cheetos till your face is covered in Cheetos crust and your fingers are covered in that yellow gunk from eating the Cheetos. If that's the best night you want to have, take it. Take it. Yeah, in fact, not only that, John, uh, that's why I was saying the prophecies uh, that are going to be fulfilled on the, uh, the actual feast days in the fall will happen on the actual feast days themselves, just like they did in the spring, the four spring feasts, uh, as those were fulfilled by Christ on the exact days like Passover, like Pentecost, uh, Shavuot, as the Jews say, uh, it will be the same in the fall. Uh, Feast of Tabernacles, uh, we'll be celebrating Christ's uh, return. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. And uh, I, I know that's the case. It's, it's God's pattern so far, and he's not going to break his pattern. Much love, John. Pork and shrimp, thank you, Jesus. Thank you to everybody that's sewing. We love you guys. We appreciate you. Listen, don't forget... And I'm going to be back Monday, by the way, 10.30 a.m. And then don't forget, this coming Tuesday through Friday, we have Signs and Wonders Camp Meeting right here in South Florida, Margate, Florida. Um, it's Abundant Life Church. It's February the 18th through the 21st. My father's hosting his Signs and Wonders Camp Meeting. It's Tuesday at 7 p.m. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at 10.30 and 7. And so... Um, we will be streaming those services live, so you'll be able to catch it next week in the mornings at 10.30, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And so we want you to be a part of that as well, and uh, it's going to be great. And if you can get here, get here. All the information is at miracleword.com forward slash schedule. Um, Tammy, Jenna will help you with this when the broadcast is over. The, the link popped up. I saw it. Uh, you just have to click the link. Um, but listen, it will be live streamed, Candace, and we're going to we're going to get to let you guys be a part of that. If you can get here, get here, uh, because it's going to be phenomenal. I can't wait to see what God's going to do in this next week. Uh, Bishop Rick Thomas is joining us. He's the pastor and bishop of uh, Abundant Life Church. He's going to be preaching. My father's going to be preaching. I'll be singing and preaching. It's going to be great. I'm excited. The whole band's coming to be here with me. It's going to be a phenomenal week. So don't miss it. Join us. And uh, we love and appreciate you guys very much. Let me pray for those that needed prayer, Bonnie, uh, Samson, others that are believing God. Father, in Jesus' name, as we close this broadcast today, I thank you 
that you're touching your people. I pray now for every person that's been suffering in their physical body and I curse every sickness and disease and I command it to leave their body. Healing virtue flow now through your people, Lord. In Jesus' name, make them whole. Give them a testimony that they can share with others of the goodness of God. We thank you, Lord, for it. I pray for Zambia, Lord, as Samson's prayer request. Pray for my nation. Pray for my people. I pray for Zambia, Lord, that you would touch it with a mighty revival. I pray that you'd give them godly leadership. I pray that the power of your spirit would sweep through that nation, saving many, many, many people, bringing them into the kingdom of God. Touch Samson and use him mightily in Jesus' name. Lord, for everybody that needs a touch, touch them today. Let them quickly hold their testimonies in their hands in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for joining me today on this crazy journey of the grave soaking, destiny card reading, angel board navigating extravaganza on Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody that's out there. We love you guys. Appreciate you. If you didn't share the broadcast, please share it. And uh, I'll see you again Monday morning, 1030 a.m. Eastern time. Have a great weekend. And I'll talk to you guys soon. Love you. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.